back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Peak Endurance Podcast with your host, Isabel Ross. As a personal trainer, accredited endurance coach, and now podcast host, Isabel is bringing you the best advice, tips, and tricks for your health and athletics. Having had raced all over the world, including participating in the notorious Barkley Marathons, she's now brought all of her knowledge and brought it back to you so you can now be an expert. So sit back, relax, and the knowledge you'll receive will have you off to the races. So you like running, but you're feeling pain or irritation and you can't enjoy it like you once did. Or worse, your performance is taking a big hit. Now you're reminiscing on the good times where the wind blew past your ears. Nature looked lovely as you passed it. What are you waiting for? Go and visit the specialist at Health and High Performance. With the latest in technology and a wealth of experience, the team at Health and High Performance can help you with all your running injury and performance needs. Let's get you back to doing something you love with the results you're capable of. Head over to healthhp.com.au slash run or you can find them on Instagram at Health High Performance. Health and High Performance are located in Mount Albert, Melbourne but are available for telehealth appointments not only Australia-wide but also around the world. So contact them now on their website to find out more. Hello and welcome to the Peak Endurance Podcast. Episode 141 is an interview with Patrick McEwen, world-renowned author and breathing practitioner. His book, The Oxygen Advantage, is based on years of scientific research and tailors breathing exercises for anyone seeking to improve their fitness and sports performance. Already in its third print run in the UK since September 2015, the Oxygen Advantage is set to revolutionise how we train by addressing dysfunctional breathing patterns and simulating high-altitude training through specific breath-holding exercises as devised by Patrick. I read this book a few years ago when it first came out and this chat was a great reminder of all of the benefits of focusing on our breathing. I find this chat so informative and interesting and fun as well, to be honest. I hope you love listening to it as much as I did recording it. Now, if you're not following the podcast on Insta or Facebook, what are you doing with your life? Look it up and follow it. That'd be awesome. You can also follow me. Just search for Isabel with an O. Now, if you got value from this episode, I would love it if you could share it with a friend, either on social media or directly. If you do share it on socials, don't forget to tag me so I can thank you. It would also be greatly appreciated if you could subscribe to the pod on Apple Podcasts and write a review, hopefully a good one. I hope these podcasts make a difference to you because your review would make a difference to me. The link is in the show notes. Thank you in advance. Now, if you're not on my email list, you want to be. Go to peakendurancecoaching.com.au to sign up to get articles and info on all things running and ultra running. Enjoy the chat with Patrick. Hey, it's Tom Dade here, and today I'm back with some more thoughts. I want to talk about success and kind of how we measure success and kind of how that impacts our motivations during a long ultra run or a long run or a race and um, how we look at those races as a success and how that can actually impact our motivations. I've realized with myself, I don't really measure how successful a race is or an ultra run is by the result whether I place or don't place. And I think this is a big reason why I'm able to stay motivated and keep pushing through these longer runs, you know, 100 plus mile runs. 
that's because I measure it by my effort and how hard I'm trying and the work I'm putting in and how I'm overcoming the challenge itself and keeping the more positive you know, mindset during the race and that's how I measure the success is if I'm trying my hardest and you know if, if I'm pushing and I'm trying my hardest I'm not giving up and I'm keeping that positive mindset then to me that is a successful run which then motivates me throughout the whole run so that's why I believe for me a big reason why I'm able to keep pushing through these harder runs whereas and you know if things go wrong I'm also happy to keep pushing whereas I think someone maybe that's more results based and someone who's they've got a place in order to be successful they've got to get under a certain time um, for the race to be a success so they're basing it on these measurements and they're not hitting those targets during their run then it's super easy to lose that motivation and then things just spiral out of control and before you know it you're pulling out or you're giving up and I think that's something to think about is exactly how we measure our success and to think about how that impacts that motivation um, during a run and you know if it's you find that constantly uh, affecting your races maybe time to try and adjust how you view success and why you view that way as successful whether it's results or whatever so that's just my thoughts this week and yeah hi and welcome to the peak endurance podcast patrick how are you going good Isabel. it's a pleasure that's good. Now, um, can you tell the listeners who don't know you a bit about yourself and how you got interested in breathing techniques and breathing in general? Yeah, I just I stumbled into it pretty much because of having asthma for about 20 years and nasal obstruction. When you have asthma, you, it's not just isolated to the lungs. Yeah. You're also more likely to have a stuffy nose. And when you have a stuffy nose, then your sleep is impacted. Mm. So I can remember going to school and being tired continuously. I was told that I was stopping breathing during sleep, which was undiagnosed sleep apnea. And it was in my mid-20s that I read a newspaper article about the importance of breathing through the nose and breathing light. And I was doing neither of them. In actual fact, there were times that I was deliberately taking full big breaths because I felt that that was good for me. Ah. And when you're in a state of dysfunctional breathing as I was, and it's fairly common, it can have a terrible effect on your quality of life, on your state of mind, on your sleep, on your ability to do physical exercise, and also on your respiration. Mm. So I started practicing it just from what I read from the newspaper. And uh, I taped my mouth closed at night. Next morning, I woke up. I don't remember much happening, much different. Taped it again the second night. And I woke up, it was the best night's sleep I had in about 15 years. Oh, wow. My, my wheezing reduced by 50% within two weeks. Wow. And I had never been told about the importance of breathing through the nose by any healthcare professional, but nor had I been told about the importance of breathing light. And I remember back then, when I first started practicing it, I wasn't sure exactly what to do. But I felt that breathing light was breathing less air into the body, which it was. So I deliberately breathed less air and I felt the temperature of my fingers improve within about three to four minutes. I knew then I was onto something because I always had cold hands and feet. Ah. And I never realized that blood circulation is impacted by how hard and fast you breathe. And it's very common with people with dysfunctional breathing 
to have cold hands and feet. So, so lo and behold, how did it become a career? Two to three years later, I was driving from one side of Ireland to the other. And uh, I decided just to get a, a feeling that this was a path that I wanted to take. So I trained in Russia and I've been teaching it since 2002. So I've been teaching functional breathing. The oxygen advantage is different because it broadens it. We use about 26 different exercises. So it goes beyond the Buteco method, which was the Russian method. Even though the Buteco method, I have to say, it's a wonderful method. We still teach it. Um, but the oxygen advantage gave us the scope not to be constrained by tradition. Yeah. That we can bring anything and any breathing technique that, you know, once we can show that it, it can bring benefits and that we can tailor it to individuals. So it's been a very good journey. I've put out nine books. The books have done pretty well over the years, even the ones that are wrote back in 2003, they continue to, to be bought. So, yeah, so it's been great. Yeah, wow. And and that's um really interesting what you said about, you know, the light breathing and the breathing deep. Like it seems counterintuitive in a way, doesn't it? Because you think if you need more oxygen, then you should take a big gulp of air. So how does yeah. that work? Well, it's like this. If, if you have normal breathing and normal breathing is pretty much undetectable breathing during rest. Mm. And when you're taking fresh air into your lungs and oxygen is transferring from the lungs into the blood, Hemoglobin is the protein that carries most of the oxygen in the blood. So 98.5% of oxygen is carried in the blood by hemoglobin. But even with normal breathing, your blood is already almost fully saturated oh, okay. with oxygen. So it's like having a glass of water and the glass of water is pretty much full, but you continue pouring water into the glass. It's not going to make much of a difference. Now, if you breathe hard, though, it gets rid of too much carbon dioxide from the blood through the lungs. And carbon dioxide is not just a waste gas that people say they talk about. Like the belief is that oxygen is good and carbon dioxide is bad, but they don't realize that carbon dioxide influences your blood circulation. So your ability for your blood to transport oxygen throughout the body is influenced by carbon dioxide in the blood. And if you are breathing too hard, your blood vessels can constrict. Not only that, but when you breathe too hard and you get rid of too much carbon dioxide from the blood, blood pH increases and hemoglobin doesn't release oxygen so readily to the tissues. And, you know, I often wonder, like, in terms of breathing, we're not just looking at breathing light, we're also looking at breathing slow because we can influence the autonomic nervous system and recovery, and also to breathe deep. So we do actually do breathe, we do deep breathing in terms of optimal movement of the diaphragm, but here's the crux. If you were to go into, say, a studio and you have an instructor teaching breathing exercises, Often that instructor believes that in order for you to breathe with optimal movement of the diaphragm, you have to take this, this full big breath. Yeah. But the risk there is that they are sacrificing the biochemistry to focus on the biomechanics. It's very seldom that any breathing instructor is looking across all three of the mains of breathing. We look at the biochemistry, the biomechanics and resonance frequency breathing, and we also do stressor exercise as well. And I think it's important because we have to realize that breathing is not just, you know, sometimes I'm talking about breathing to people and their eyes glaze over and they think it's a load of crap. And that's the way it is because they've been fed nonsense for decades by people who have no idea in many instances. And I'm not going to say that I am an expert in this either. It's a vast subject. It's a huge subject. Mm. And uh, the digger you go, sorry, the deeper you go into it, the more you realize just what we don't know about the breath. But what we do know 
it can be very, very um, effective in terms of targeting specific functions in the human body. Yeah, I mean, um, you say um, in the beginning of your book um, that we spend a lot of time focusing what we eat and drink and how this influences the body, but we don't really focus on breathing. And yet mm. we do that all the time. We're not eating and drinking all the time. Well, you'd so, hope not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, as much as we'd enjoy to sometimes. <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose like people just take it for granted, yeah. you know. And the other thing is that they might have sleep problems and they, they don't mm. necessarily put it down that they have some. And it's because doctors don't talk about breathing. Yeah. Like how many healthcare professionals are actually talking about breathing and talking about nose breathing and talking about breathing light? Very, very few of them. Yeah. There are some dentists who really get this because they understand with children when the mouth is open that the face changes the, the face doesn't grow the way it should do. Oh, really? there's not there's an Australian doctor, a dentist. Yeah. He's an orthodontist called Dr. Derek Mahoney. Okay. And he's based in Randwick in, in Sydney. And he would be one of the most prolific researchers in terms of the field of mouth breathing and the impact it has on young children and, and the grow, growth of the face. Because, you know, oh, you're yeah. into sports, but the athlete's ability to perform adequately in sports is going to be influenced by their airway. I would never be an athlete. My nose is, my nostrils are one size smaller than the other. I have a really badly deviated septum. My maxilla is set back. My mandible is set back. The pipe that is bringing air from my nose or mouth into my lungs is too small. And we don't consider this. You know, how many parents realize that if your child is going to perform in sports or going to perform in sleep or going to reach their full potential, it's very important during the formative years that they do have functional breathing with the tongue resting in the roof of the mouth, breathing in and out through the nose, and that they have good deep sleep. So, you know, the field is, uh, and none of this is new, by the way. None of it is new. Yeah. Like in terms of the craniofacial changes with children, that has been written about since 1909. Wow. And children with poor concentration, with ADHD, mm. kids who have difficulty concentrating in school, kids who are getting frustrated, I was one of those kids. I left school at 14 years of age, never to go back. Wow. I went back one year later, just as, as life kind of steers you in different routes. And I was pretty driven to achieve and to get out there. I worked 10 to 12 hours a day studying and I got into university. I got my grades, but it could have been a lot easier. Yeah. And when we think about, you know, people talk about breathing if I was to say what's the most two most important traits that we all use in our everyday life, I'm going to so talk about one is concentration and the other is tension, attention span. And concentration is our ability to hold our attention to one thing. Our attention span is the length of time that we can hold our attention to one thing. For the school kid, for the university student, for the corporate worker, for the first responder, for sports, for all walks of life. People need to be able to direct their attention to what they are doing. Otherwise, their quality of work is not going to be 100%. But nobody is teaching us how to concentrate. And education does not teach us how to concentrate. Yeah. But yet, for us to succeed academically, we need to have good concentration and attention span. And what's more, if we have an ability to direct our attention and to concentrate, we can activate flow states. Now, so many people talk about achieving flow states. They talk about achieving it, but they don't talk about how to achieve it. And yeah. I'm going to say this, Isabel, yeah. because this is something that held me back for 20 years. 
and I'm not unique. There's, there are millions of people in the same instance. They have lousy sleep. They're waking up at a dry mouth in the morning. Mm. They're waking up feeling tired. They are not going to reach flow states because you cannot develop your concentration if your sleep is poor. And also, if you have dysfunctional breathing, and by the way, it's more common than we think. And I can give you the stats and I can say that with women, it affects much more women than men oh, because really? of changes in the monthly cycle. Yeah. And even though this has been known since 1905, most women are not aware of it, but they should be. So coming back to, if you want to achieve flow states, and that is the state of mind where your mind is in a state of relaxation and alertness at the same time. And it's almost that the individual and the sport becomes one. Yeah. It's a state that hours can go by, but it feels like seconds. It's almost that everything is slowed down that you have and you can perform the right move at the right time. And you're doing it intuitively and you're doing it instinctively. Flow states is where quality of sportsmanship is, is reached. But how do you achieve it? You need deep sleep. You need functional breathing. You also need breath aware, body aware, mind aware. So, yeah, so I think it's um, this is a new book that I wrote. I don't know which one you're talking about, but I have one called Atomic Focus. I've got this one. Oh, that's that's the oxygen advantage. So that's yeah. going back to 2016. Yes, that's I wrote right. another one called The Breathing Cure in 2021. Oh, it will come out yeah. and then Atomic Focus. Yeah. And it just goes to show in terms of the application of breathing exercise. So what I'd say to your listeners, listen, if you've been told breathing exercises by Tom, Dick and Harry, forget about it, because quite often what they've said is not correct. And I'm not saying this just to blow my own horn. Yeah. I'm just saying it that there's a lot of nonsense out there about breathing. And it's varied. It really is. If you've got a stuffy nose, you can decongest your nose. If you have asthma mm. and the first clinical trial in the Western world for the Buteco method was performed in the Manor Hospital in Brisbane in 1994. They got 40 individuals, divided them up into two groups. These were individuals with 21 years on average of having asthma symptoms. Oh, yeah. One group did Buteco. The other group did the in-house hospital program at the Matter Hospital in Brisbane, which is normally provided by physiotherapy. At three-month follow-up, the Buteco group had 70% less symptoms. They had 90% less need for rescue medication. Oh, awesome. They had 49% less need for inhaled corticosteroid. The, the in-house hospital program that's taught at the hospital had 0% change. Oh, wow. <laughs> but yes... Yes, even though that was published, it took four years for that study to be published in the, the Australian Medical Journal. Yet, very few people talked about it. And it's often that it didn't, people didn't want it to be heard. The healthcare the, the professionals why? didn't the want why? it out there. Why don't I don't know. But all I can say is that in 20 years of teaching this to thousands and thousands of individuals, genuinely, people with asthma, yeah. People with anxiety and panic disorder, which mm -hmm. is a tremendous modality because we can influence the autonomic nervous system yes. and the science and heart rate variability over the last 30 years is, is supporting what we are saying. People with sleep issues, the healthcare professionals involved in these domains are not looking at functional breathing patterns. And it's a big shame. Mm. Yeah, that is. So um, why is nasal breathing as opposed to mouth breathing so much more? Well, what does your um, mouth do when it comes to the breath? If you look into your mouth, yeah. what part of your mouth 
performs any function in terms of breathing? Is there, a, is there any part of the mouth that performs a function in terms of the breath? And the answer is no. Yeah. All the mouth is, the mouth is a hole. That's all it is. Yeah. It's a hole whereby air can go straight down your throat into your lungs. It performs no, no functions. Your nose performs up to 30 functions. Oxygen uptake in the blood is higher with nasal breathing than with mouth breathing. Okay. Oxygen delivery to the working muscles is higher with nasal breathing than with mouth breathing. Morton, an Australian researcher back in 1995, showed that if you do physical exercise with your mouth closed, the fraction of expired oxygen is less. In other words, the body utilizes oxygen better. Mm. Nose breathing is, is recruiting the diaphragm more optimally than mouth breathing. Diaphragm breathing with good amplitude of the diaphragm is very important for postural stabilization. And also functional breathing and functional movement go together. So for example, if an athlete had this, has dysfunctional movement, it's very important mm. that they improve their functional breathing patterns. You cannot have functional movement without having functional breathing. The core is not just about strengthening the abs. Yeah. The core is about the box. You're talking about the diaphragm at the top and the pelvic floor. You've got the abs to the front and you've got the spinal, the muscles to the back. And the diaphragm plays a role there. And it's the movement of the diaphragm with each inhalation and exhalation that's providing and generating intra-abdominal pressure. Your diaphragm breathing muscle is also connected with the emotions. When you breathe through your nose, you harness nasal nitric oxide, which is antiviral and antibacterial. Nitric oxide plays a role, for example, in COVID. And there was yeah. one paper published in Microbes and Infection in May in 2020. Could nasal breathing mitigate the severity of COVID-19? It's the same stuff that we've been talking about for 20 years. But how many healthcare authorities have been in encouraging the members of the public to breathe through the nose? None. <laughs> None. Zero. Yeah. yeah. So, and you, you think I'm on a tirade here, but you know what? Sometimes <laughs> there is a sense of frus frustration not that. because we know that this is, and like, this is not, people say, well, it's anecdotal. Listen, the research can be scant enough because again, you know, doctors, I, you know, and I feel for doctors who need to do research in order for them to be accepted by their peers, they have to be looking at topics that don't seem to be left afield yeah. and breathing is generally considered left afield. And that's why the research doesn't come out as much, but it's changing. Yeah. And the last three years have been absolutely, the growth has been phenomenal in nasal breathing. And if you look at James Nestor's book, Brett, and he covers a lot of the topics that we've been talking about, yeah. his book has literally become the bestseller um and really put out the information like next week i go to premiership football club in the uk i'm working with the entire club of footballers yeah in march i work with elite military snipers i've worked with them also in the past we work with all walks of life i'm working with some doctors orthodontists physiotherapists yoga instructors we now have a program how to breed during yoga taking into consideration the biochemistry and the biomechanics and resonance frequency breathing, that yeah. if a yoga instructor is teaching breathing, why not transform your students' lives? And I don't mean that by just saying it, you know, I literally do mean that if you have individuals coming into a yoga studio or a gym class, mm. we do a gym workshop 
11 different exercises, sequence of exercises. And these aren't a walk in the park, you know, like we do breath holds to drop the blood oxygen saturation down into the mid eighties. These are stressors. So we know when to relax, but we don't always. I've made mistakes and I have sometimes stressed people too much and I've, you know, I put them the other way. And, you know, but I've, I've learned also over the years and, you know, you do make mistakes. That's just the reality of it. But a bit of experience can be very, very helpful because it's that experience that you can pick up in the finer things and you can change and, you know, you can fine tune breathing. So, yeah, so it's, it's an interesting journey. Yeah, it signs it. So, as you know, I'm a, I'm a runner and, um, I mean, I've always nasal breathed at night, um, even as a, as a child. But personally, I find it really hard to nasal breathe when I'm running. I feel like I'm not getting enough oxygen. My nose is a little twisted inside, which is probably part of it. But what do you, how, how do you incorporate nasal breathing into running? Yeah, there's a few things that are going to influence your degree of air hunger during running. And yeah. the size of your nose is one. Some individuals have a very wide nasal airway and they can handle a larger volume of air. Caucasians tend to have narrow nostrils, so it's not ideal. You could use a nasal dilator. So, for example, if you do this, put one finger either side of your nose and just gently yeah. prise your nostrils. So that will help open up the nasal airway to increase airflow. Number two, your bolt score. Yeah. which is the measurement of your breath hold time during rest that will influence the degree of breathlessness during physical exercise. So to give you this example, you could have 10 athletes and they're all training pretty much the same training regime and routine, but one or two athletes, regardless of how much they train, they plateau and they continue to have disproportionate breathlessness. Physical training does not improve your breathing patterns. The only sport that improves your breathing patterns is swimming. Yeah. It's your everyday breathing that influences your breathing during physical exercise. And if you have an individual who's breathing a little bit faster, a little bit harder, a little bit upper chest during rest, during the day, during their normal everyday routines, that breathing pattern is going to translate into how they breathe during physical exercise. And their breathing during physical exercise is more likely to be excessive and harder and faster. And uh, yeah, they, they gas out sooner. They have disproportionate breathlessness. They're using excess energy because I suppose with breathing, we want to do a couple of things. We want to make breathing more efficient. And basically we have to ask, what's the primary stimulus to breathe? The primary stimulus to breathe is carbon dioxide. So when you go for your run, you're using your leg muscles. Your yeah. leg muscles are becoming hypercapnic. They're generating more carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide is coming from the muscles into the blood. And as carbon dioxide increases in the blood and blood pH drops, the brain is sending signals to breathe. Now, it's not just carbon dioxide that stimulates your breathing during exercise, but your tolerance of carbon dioxide will influence your degree of breathlessness during exercise. If an individual has a high if an individual has a strong sensitivity to the buildup of carbon dioxide, their breathing is going to be hard and fast. Yeah. And the problem with hard and fast breathing is that it can actually impair oxygen delivery throughout the body. And the other aspect about it is that it can activate stress response. Mm. So like if any recreational athlete comes into me, I would always encourage them to breathe through their nose during physical exercise because of the points we spoke about earlier on. 
But even in terms of your nose is the only organ that's doing anything in terms of the air coming into your lungs. You think about what we want during physical exercise. You want a better oxygen uptake in the blood. You want a better oxygen delivery. You want to have functional movement with optimal movement of the diaphragm. You want to be protecting your airways. And I'm talking about the nose and the throat, the trachea, the lungs. How many people have bronchoconstriction? You know, Australia is one of the highest incidences of asthma in the world. I think it's number two, or at least it was in the last decade, couple of decades. And even though with nasal breathing, it's a bit tougher when you first start. But if you continue to do your physical exercise with your mouth closed, the air hunger diminishes in about four to six weeks. Now, if we look at a paper by George Dallum, he's a professor in one of, I think it's Colorado State University. His surname is D-A-L-L-A-M. He's a triathlete, but he's also a triathlete coach, coach for some of the best triathletes in the United States. In 2016, he came across the importance of nasal breathing. He switched to breathing through his nose during exercise. Then he encouraged his, his, his students to breathe through the nose. And in 2018, he did a study looking at 10 individuals. He got them breathing through their nose exclusively for six months. At the end of six months, he tested their performance, nasal breathing versus mouth breathing. With nasal breathing, they were able to achieve 100% of their work rate intensity, but with 22% less ventilation. So they could achieve as much of an intensity nasal breathing as with mouth breathing, but with 22% less effort. Wow, that's huge. It's huge. It's huge. There's another study looking at rugby union players in Australia. 21 highly trained professional players during competitive season. So it wasn't under downtime. Yeah. Divided them into two groups. One group was doing breath hold sprinting. And the other group was doing sprinting with the mouth open. In four weeks, the repeated sprintability in the group which were doing breath hold sprinting increased from nine to 14.8 reps before exhaustion. And the group who were doing sprinting with their mouth open increased from nine to 10 reps. Now, I'm when you think about professional rugby, highly trained individuals, if you can get even a small gain, it can be significant. You're going for one percenters at that stage. Exactly. But to increase and repeated sprintability is a performance indicator in team sports. Yeah. It's also boxing, MMA. Like you can think about basketball, sprinting. Yeah. And, you know, repeated sprintability is, is an athlete's effort. It's an athlete's ability to do all out effort, followed yeah. by very brief recovery before all out effort again. So, yeah, look at the research by Wurons, W-O-O-R-O-N-S. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you talked about uh, breath holding. So, so what sort of exercises do you do with that? It depends on the person. Um, if people, for example, have anxiety or panic disorder, I tend to, I have to first weigh it up, how they're going to tolerate the feeling of air hunger yeah. because it can generate very strong fear response. But even a very simple breath hold exercise, get a pulse oximeter, little handheld finger device. Uh, yeah. You put them on your finger, it's picking up in your blood oxygen saturation. Don't do this if you're pregnant or if you have any serious medical conditions. Take a normal breath in and out through your nose, pinch your nose and hold your nose and start jogging with your breath held and continue jogging while holding your breath until you feel a pretty strong air hunger. 
then let go, but breathe in through your nose, but get your breathing under control within two breaths. Mm -hmm. Don't do it until there's nothing extreme about this. Don't do it until you go blue (laughs) and wait then for about 16 to 70, get your breathing under control and wait for about 16 seconds, maybe 20 seconds or so. And just watch your blood oxygen saturation. And you will see it drop from normal of 95 to 99% down to below 91% and generally into the mid 80s. Now, it can take a few attempts and a few days of practice to be able to lower it down. So what's that doing to the body? It's a stressor. And you're deliberately lowering your blood oxygen saturation and you're increasing carbon dioxide in the blood. And this in turn then is disturbing the blood acid base balance. So you're increasing hydrogen ion. So you're purposely exposing the body, the blood to increased hydrogen ion to force the body to make adaptations. And those adaptations are likely to happen inside the muscle compartment to increase buffering capacity. So there's protein and phosphates and bicarbonate. These are the buffers inside the muscle compartment. And the role of the buffer is it's to bind with the hydrogen ion before the hydrogen ion gets into the blood. Because hydrogen ion can be implicated in causing fatigue. So we can improve an ability, an athlete's ability to delay lactic acid and fatigue by simply doing that exercise. Now, the other thing I'll say about that exercise that I just explained, athletes do anaerobic training Mm. and they do sprints during their training to stimulate anaerobic glycolysis. If you sprint with your mouth open, your blood oxygen saturation hardly drops down to 92%. It hardly drops down at all. It will, of course, drop it's not going to go into a hypoxic state. If you sprint with your mouth closed, you'll likely drop down your blood oxygen saturation down to 91%. You're on the verge of hypoxia, mild hypoxia. If you do a jog in your sitting room, you can lower your blood oxygen saturation to severe hypoxia, but there is no trauma. Yeah. And for even for athletes who are injured, and there's a risk of them deconditioning, we have them do breathing exercises especially to maintain a decent bolt score. And we didn't really talk about that. Yeah, but yeah. the bolt score is getting attention now. It's also the control pause from the Buteco method. There was a paper by Professor Kyle Kiesel in 2018. K-I-E-S-E-L. He yeah. looked at 51 individuals. He looked at their breathing from a biochemical point of view, a biomechanical point of view, and psychophysiological point of view. He concluded that you can screen for breathing pattern disorders by the length of their breath hold time. He used the control pause. It's the same as the bolt score. The bolt score is you take a normal breath in and out of your nose, you pinch your nose, and you time it in seconds until you feel the first definite desire to breathe or the first involuntary movement of your breathing muscles. His conclusion was if your bolt score is above 25 seconds, there is an 89% chance that dysfunctional breathing is not present. Yeah. Now, who are more affected by dysfunctional breathing? People with asthma, people with childhood asthma, they will typically have a lower bolt score. Females, very much more than men. And this is also influenced by the monthly cycle, post-ovulation, middle luteal phase, there's an increase in the hormone progesterone, yeah. which is a respiratory stimulant. Breathing becomes harder and faster. Carbon dioxide levels can drop by as much as 25%. This can increase pain perception, reduce pain threshold, (laughs) contribute to anxiety, panic disorder, and fatigue. 
And this has been, it has been written about it. Put a chapter into the new book. Yeah. Looking at this, because even though this is, this information has been around since 1905, most females are not aware of it. Mm -hmm. And also the females with this, with PMS, they have a heightened sensitivity to the gas carbon dioxide, but that's trainable. You can change that. So I think for females in terms of mental and physical performance, it would be very, very important to track both score across the monthly cycle. Yeah. Other groups of individuals who have dysfunctional breathing, anxiety and panic disorder, 75% of the anxiety population have dysfunctional breathing, 75%. Yeah. These individuals are going to their psychotherapist, their yeah. counselor, their psychologist, their psychiatrist, Nobody seems to be looking at their sleep yeah. in terms of getting them out closed during sleep. And I'm not really aware of people, healthcare professionals delving in and addressing breathing from three dimensions from the biochemical point of view, because literally, if you can improve the biochemistry, you can increase blood flow and oxygen delivery to the brain. This is a calming effect on the central nervous system. If you work with slow breathing, you stimulate the vagus nerve. You yeah. strengthen the barrel reflex, you bring a balance or you have to bring a balance in the autonomic nervous system. If you work with low breathing, you can help bring a calmness of the mind. So we need to work across all three modalities, light, slow and deep breathing. So the acronym I use is LSD so people can remember it. <laughs> and we also have to bear in mind the sleep quality. Yeah. So the other group of people that comes to mind are people with lower back pain. 50% of people with lower back pain have dysfunctional breathing patterns. So how does that correlate? Well, because of, of course, the diaphragm and the role of the diaphragm and providing stabilization and, and support mm -hmm. for the spine. So, you know, as we take a breath of air into the body and the diaphragm is moving downwards, there's a negative pressure generated in the thorax. Yeah. So that air comes into the lungs, but there's a positive pressure generated in the abdomen. And it's almost that the abdomen becomes like a pneumatic balloon providing stabilization. So, for example, even the sports, if you're thinking about cycling, you know, the mm. athlete is hunched over. It's going to mm. reduce lung volume and triathletes swimming. It's very important that swimmers have very good respiratory muscle strength. Now, swimming will help with that. And swimming is the one sport, even though you have to breathe through your mouth. Yeah, it's the sport that adds an extra load onto your breathing because the water is pressed against the body. Your face is in the water a lot of the time. And it can help to improve your breath all time. However, if a swimmer practiced or any athlete practiced functional breathing exercises and also breath holding, and also did some of their runs with their mouth closed, yeah. this would help to improve the strength of their diaphragm. This would help to reduce their sensitivity to the gas carbon dioxide. This would help them to achieve lighter, slower and lower breathing. And that is going to be advantageous, not just in physical performance, but in mental performance. Mm. Mm. So it kind of, you know, I don't think we can isolate breathing and the emotions and sleep. And a lot of people will go towards running to help deal with anxiety. Yeah. And I'm not sure of the population of people who run, who have anxiety, but I would think that that running is, it's a tremendous route for people to help deal with mental health issues yeah that, that's and i would i would true. think that quite a few people with anxiety run yeah but those individuals are also prone to 
dysfunctional breathing. 75%. So you're talking about three out of four. Yeah. And that group could really get a lot out of it. Yeah, that's, and, and when you put it like that, that really brings home how important it is to, to focus on that. So, um, you know, I've got your book, like we said, The Oxygen Advantage. And so there's exercises in there. Is that kind of what people can do or is there more that they can do? Well, it's, you know, you could start off by making sure that you get your mouth closed at night. Never wake up with a dry mouth in the morning. Yeah. If you so wake up with a dry yeah. And, and you're, you're doing your book too, taping your mouth. That's not stressful yes. for people. <laughs> no, because I'll actually show you. We have a tape, myotape, which is designed exclusively for bringing the oh, lips together. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I'll kind of show it to you because it's yeah. the one thing that people think is a bit off the wall. So it's an elasticated oh, tape. Yeah, okay. You stretch it. Yep. It's covering ah. the mouth, but it's not covering, but it's pulling the lips together. Okay, because I was thinking it would cover the lips and that sort of... No, we used to do that, but <laughs> we stopped. We, we we had to because, you know, even though with adults, you know, of course, people could be anxious with it and people coming yes. in with panic disorder and everything. But the other thing is like your nose will never get congested, fully <laughs> congested once you breathe through it. Uh, and I we use these exercises to help open up the nose. That last exercise, which I described, yeah. breath holding. If you do that, your nose opens up. Yeah. Breath holding opens up your nose. Physical exercise opens up your nose. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. most recently, sex, having sex oh, opens up your nose. So there are three ways to decongest your nose without having yeah. to run down to the chemist <laughs> and to get antihistamines. Yes. You can choose. <laughs> Much better options. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but no, I would, there you go yep the exercises there are they're in the, the oxygen advantage um yes. for people who want to delve deeper into the science and from a health perspective the next book the breathing cure has got more exercises uh, okay. as i said like with the oxygen advantage i'm not constrained by tradition and we brought in more exercise to help recruit the diaphragm and stressor exercise including you know, there is a role for hyperventilation and long breath holes, but one has to be careful and to understand what's actually happening when you do hyperventilation and long breath holes. Yeah. We've seen people develop facial tics as a result of it, not our students. Yeah. Um, we've also seen people develop shingles as a result of doing hyperventilation and long breath holes, not our students, but the information comes into us because people ask us questions. So I would say to people, if you're going to embark on a stressor exercise, just maybe start off easy. Yeah. Don't do the full 30 hyperventilation breaths and then the long mm. breath hold. Maybe start off at five and mm. then do a breath hold or 10 and start off with a breath hold. And the other thing is bring in recovery. So we, we kind of work with a 20, 20 hyperventilation breath, exhale, hold, and then at the end of it, breathe light for three minutes to recover. Yeah. It's not enough. We can't just be stressing the body, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like anybody who does physical exercise realizes that there's a warm up, there's the exercise routine, and there's the cool down. Yeah. The same goes for breathing. We do a warm up. You have to do a warm up because, especially when you're exposing the body, to quite stressful states, which yeah. we are. So we do a warm up, we do the routine, and then we do a recovery. And that's very important. And also to bear in mind, how are you breathing 
off the mat? How are you breathing when you finish your exercise during your sleep? When you walk down the street, when you do your physical exercise, how should you breathe? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's important to focus on it in your day to day life, too, isn't it? Because, yes, you know, that that has a huge impact. Um, and and does kind of our um, standing and sitting posture have a, have an effect on all of that too? Of course, of course, you know. Mm. Um, if we are slouched over, it's going to compress the diaphragm, and this in turn is going to reduce lung volume. So, posture, yeah, there's no question about it. And posture yeah. and breathing are going to go together. Yeah. Good breathing and good posture goes together. Poor breathing and poor posture goes together. If you think of somebody who's really struggling to breathe, they're often hunched over because they're they're stressed for air. Yeah. And uh, like even looking at the worst breathing patterns that we have came across are people recovering from long COVID. Okay. And that has been in the recent times. And before that, it would have been people with emphysema and COPD. And I've seen some horrendous breathing, some people with cystic fibrosis. Yeah. But the worst that I have seen is long COVID recovery typically in females and again if you have a female um or somebody with long covid who is really really having labored breathing their boat score can be as low as three seconds oh geez they, they can't sit up they can't stand up because of course with long covid it can be accompanied with postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome so as they stand up the heart rate shoots up to maybe 140 or 180 beats per minute we have to do all of the exercise lying down we have to be very careful not to tax the autonomic nervous system. And if anybody is listening and they have long COVID and they, they want to help with recovery, I've put all of the exercise in YouTube. So there's a video okay. there. It's 40 minutes and it literally will bring you through every exercise. And if you have chronic fatigue syndrome or fibromyalgia or high anxiety, you can also use that approach because it's a very gentle approach. So, and have you yeah, had so, success with the long COVID patients? Yes, we've, we've had success with long COVID and breathing exercises may be the one thing mm. that will help with success because of the labored breathing, but also to help stimulate the vagus nerve. Yeah. Long COVID has absolutely caused dysregulation of the autonomic nervous system. Individuals are an increased sympathetic drive. And the people who seem to be suffering the most with COVID are those with sleep disorder breathing prior to having the infection. Oh, people with obstructive sleep apnea. Yeah. Because sleep disorder breathing is also putting you into a sympathetic state. Yeah. And an individual with insomnia or obstructive sleep apnea, they will tend to have reduced heart rate variability, which would yeah. imply that they've got increased sympathetic drive and they've got a reduced relaxation response. So, but we've seen athletes with long COVID not recovering well. Hmm. And primarily because the degree of training that the athletes were doing, that they had overtrained. Uh, you know, it's not just the individual who's been sleep sitting on the couch all day and with sleep disorder breathing, but it's also the individual who who have pushed themselves yeah, to much. the point that they've they've caused that dysregulation. Mm, that's that's really interesting. Thanks for sharing that. All righty. Well, look, um, thank you for your time. And I think it's, sure. um, I know I first heard about you. I think it was, I bought the book as soon as I heard about you because I find it fascinating and, and so important. And I think um, breathing, like you said, is one of those things that we just, we don't think about enough. And I, I think it's super important. So thank you. For yeah, that. no, it's, it's, 
It's uh, it's great. Thanks very much, Isabel. It's great to see that it's it's really getting the awareness now in the last couple yeah. of years. So yeah, long may it last. Yeah, that's right. And now, look, if people want to, can they follow you or what's your YouTube channel and that sort of thing? Yeah, it's Ox Oxygen Advantage. Yeah, is the YouTube and Instagram. Yeah, and also Buteco Clinic, and we have a lot of instructors in Australia. Oh, okay. So we have, for example, Dean Gladstone and yeah. Johannes Segbert and Mim Beim, and there's quite a few instructors that we have in Australia. I'll be doing a trip there as well in July. Oh, awesome. So I'm doing a family holiday, but I'll probably step in a training course that they're yeah, doing yeah, just yeah. to sit, you know. Anyone, anyone in Melbourne? <laughs> I'm, yeah, no, in Melbourne? Definitely, yeah. I won't be going to Melbourne. But, but have um, you got instructors I've, in Melbourne? Yes, there is, yeah. There okay. is, and I can't just think because I don't always know the locations. Of yeah, no, of course not. I'll, but I'll you'll to... see it up on our website. Yeah, I'll look into that. And um, yeah. I mean, I, I'm in Melbourne. I'm sure not all my listeners are, but um, I'm selfishly thinking of me. So, <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, you'll see it on in terms of butecoclinic.com. That's kind of the buteco route. Yeah. And then oxygenadvantage.com. Then you'll see the list of instructors there. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for that. I'll put all the links to that in the show notes. So, thank you very Great much stuff. for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Isabel. Thank you. So, what do you think? Has Patrick made you realise how important proper breathing is to your running? I advise you to head to his website for more info. Uh, you'll find that in the show notes. And to definitely buy the book. Let me know what you think. Now, don't forget, if you have an interesting story to share, email me, isabel at peakendurancecoaching.com.au and you might end up being on the podcast or one of your friends who has an interesting story. Have a great week of running and training and have fun out there on the roads and trails. <laughs>